Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, our game. After their most emphatic win of 2020, the New York Red Bulls seek a winning streak. And the Englishman who got it started, Mandela Egbo, is with us. We'll get to know the one-time Crystal Palace Academy product and look ahead to Thierry Henry's return to Red Bull Arena Sunday. The Shep Messing Daily Cast begins now. Hi and welcome everyone to the final show of the week, Our Game. This is Shep Messing's podcast. My name is Steve Cangelosi. We delve into the game we'll call together in the coming weekend, which for us will be Red Bull's Montreal Impact in MLS. It's the legendary recording artist Sting who gave us the title Englishman in New York. That's what Mandela Egbo is, the Red Bull's versatile defender who opened his account converting the team's first penalty attempt of the season. The launching point for their 4-1 win versus Inter Miami. Shep, I think people will see Mandela is well thought out. We'll discuss his journey to MLS in a moment. Let's talk about the team first. Is there a giant weight off of this club's shoulders today? Steve, teams dream when they're in a downward cycle, they're in a downward spiral, things aren't going well. They dream of the kind of game they had against Inter Miami because they didn't squeak out a victory, they ran away with it. And look, in in sports, everybody in the locker room will tell you, and coaches as well, let's not get too high, let's not get too low, but the human element, they've gotta be flying after that game. And, And the player you're talking about, Mandela Egbo, what he was saying after the game, he said, we are on fire, we're fired up. I mean, they couldn't contain their excitement. And yet Inter-Miami ties the game, and it's almost as if the theme of this 2020 season continues. If you don't see it coming, it's probably coming because this team petered out for much of that first half. You and I were motioning to each other. After the goal, a lot of energy went out of this team. Who saw three goals coming in the second half? Seriously. (laughs) Not me. I didn't see it coming, and we talked about it on air during the last – 25 minutes of the first half. The energy was gone. They had the lead. They were sitting back. They weren't attacking the game. And then to give up that goal, uh, Juan Agadello actually mishit the ball, but it, it took a good bounce over the shoulder of David Jensen. You had to think going into the locker room, what team is going to come out for the second half? But I know they surprised me, Steve. They came out flying. Daniel Royer is a natural midfielder but he did score in a game when he was lined up as a forward. Brian White, when he puts the ball in the net and what turns out to be the game-winning goal, is the first pure striker to score for the Red Bulls this season, and it took until game 13. Why is this important? Well, if you got home late at night and you flicked on to other games, there was Bradley Wright Phillips scoring two more times. He now has seven on the season for LAFC. You know where I'm going with this. The Red Bulls opted to part ways with a legendary figure. The Brian Whites of this team have to score. Well, they have to. And I think Bradley Wright Phillips was named player of the week. So, sure. Look, teams are going to make bad decisions. Uh, I think in, in the case of BWP, I think he still should be here playing for New York Red Bulls. The the team probably feels that way 
as well. But you got to move on. The question is, can a Tom Barlow or a Brian White or a Jorgensen, can they ever come close to filling the shoes of a BWP? Right now, the answer is no. I'll tell you what is encouraging, though. Uh, Depth and balance is so important now, considering the nature of the schedule. The Red Bulls at one point down the stretch will play nine times in a span of 36 nights. And more often than not, their next 11 is not a major drop-off from the first 11. And I think we've seen that in the last couple of wins at D.C. and against Inter-Miami a few days ago. I tell you what, I totally agree in general and in particular, Steve. I'm looking at these players like Jared Stroud, like Omir Fernandez, like Ben Mines, like Florian Velo. I mean, these guys, whether they start the game or whether they come in in the second half, they've been dynamite. So quality depth all over the field. You texted me a couple of hours after the game and you said, I think my favorite moment is the World Cup champion pushing the guy from Colgate in the 18-yard box when he's (laughs) running away from goal. What's Blaze Matweedy thinking early in the game? (laughs) I should have talked about it with you more during the broadcast, Steve, because I thought he had a poor game. I really did. I mean, that that play in particular, I'm still laughing about it. He wins the World Cup, and he's chasing a, a, a rookie from Colgate. <laughs> Gives away a penalty <laughs> kick. But look, that's the mystery and the allure and the confusion and the chaos of Major League Soccer. You could be the biggest player in the world, and you come here – Hey, that kid from Colgate doesn't care what you did in the in the World Cup. So it's an adjustment. These players have to get acclimated to the league. We'll see if Matuidi can do that. We'll get a little more specific about the matchup against Montreal after we hear from Mandela Egbo in a moment. But what do you think Sunday means to Thierry Henry? Uh, this is not him going back to North London for the first time after leaving Arsenal. But, but it's something. These were five very important years of his life. Listen, we talked to Luis Robles about it before the game against Inter Miami, and he said to you, Steve, when you interviewed him, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be emotional because the game's here in, in Florida. I think I'll get emotional when I go to Red Bull Arena. Don't underestimate the emotions of, of these players, and now the case of Thierry Henry, a manager who still has owns his apartment in New York City, uh, he spent five great years of his life here, and, and he's going to feel something when he's going up against the team that he played for. More on the matchup versus Montreal in just a moment. But first, 22-year-old Mandela Egbo, the London-born defender, in his fourth MLS game, scores his first MLS goal. Under normal circumstances, a team that just won a big game in South Florida might spend the night on South Beach doing a little celebrating. These are very different times. But for Mandela Egbo and his teammates, what did it do to lift the spirits of a team that was struggling mightily to score? It was, it was, um, it was very, very good for confidence, definitely, to um, get a few goals under our belts. And um, we've, been, we've been good on the road the last few games. We're, we're unbeaten on the road in a few weeks, I think. So, um, you know, we, we've, been, we've been getting going. We had the tie at New England. We got some points last game on the road. Danny got back scoring with a beautiful volley. So we're, we're not short of goals as such, but of course to get four in a night is always going to do us a world of good for the confidence. Mandela goes straight to the early action in the game. 
Matweedy takes down Jared Stroud in the box, and all of us in the broadcast booth and the fans watching, we're thinking, who's going to step up to take that penalty kick? Tell us what happened. Um, I mean, the ball luckily just rolled round, right round to my right hand side, and I thought, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pick it up. I'm feeling confident. I think confidence is the big thing with penalties. So I was feeling confident. I've stuck a few away in training. We, we, we do a lot of pens in training. So um, yeah, this season um, I'm doing pretty well in training on the pens. So I thought, why not? Danny Ware wasn't on the pitch. He would probably be number one, and of course he's probably the penalty taker. So um, as he wasn't on the pitch, I thought, yeah, I'm feeling confident. Matty Joel, the striker, let me have it. Um, strikers on the pitch were confident with me having it. We've seen, obviously, training as well. So I knew where I was going. I stuck to my corner and I thankfully put it, put it in. You partially answered my next question. It seemed that you were the designated taker of the penalty because there wasn't much discussion. At past stops in your career, did you take penalties regularly anywhere, whether in Germany or even the Crystal Palace Academy? Yeah, in the Crystal Palace Academy, I took pens. Um, in the Germany, in Germany, yeah, for Gladbach's 23s, I took a few pens as well. So it's not, um, it's not my first time, but it's probably the biggest stage I've taken a pen on, definitely. I mean, without the fans, of course, in the stadium with us, but definitely, you know, the biggest stadium, the biggest lying on upon that penalty going in. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was nice to, it was nice to slow it home, definitely. Mandela, tell us about your journey because it's not every day a player comes from England, starts at Crystal Palace, goes to Germany, München Gladbach, and then ends up at Red Bull. How did it all happen? Uh, oh, that is um, a good question. It just came to me, came down to me wanting to um, adventure. So at um, the age of 17, I turned down a professional contract at Palace because I wanted to go, I wanted to go, I wanted to just try something new. And um, I had my eyes set on going somewhere in Europe, whether that be Holland or Germany. And Germany came up and when Borussia Mönchengladbach come calling, you don't really turn them down. So I, I didn't. I spent a good four years there, learned the language and got into a lot of the culture. And then um, moved after the four years of my contract there, moved down into the second division in Germany, the Twitter, um, second Bundesliga, Zweite Bundesliga, is what we call it in German. And... Um, Played for a team there for six months. Got a few um, games in, again, on the big stage in men's football. And, um, yeah, then York came calling. And that's another one you just turn, can't turn down. So, um, yeah, then I find myself here, beating Miami, <laughs> playing against players my 2D. What is it like to grow up a fan of the beautiful game in London? And you told us before we started, Arsenal was your team. Who shaped yeah. you as a player? Um, without a doubt, the um, man that's going to come back to the arena on um, Sunday, Thierry Henry. With, without a doubt, he's, he's the biggest inspiration to me, the biggest influence on my football, which seems a bit strange seeing as I'm a defender. But I wasn't for a long period in my life. I, was, um, I played higher up the pitch and Thierry Henry was the man being an Arsenal fan, probably an Arsenal fan, not just because of my father, but also because of Thierry. Stayed an Arsenal fan because of him and um, followed his career. We're going to Barca, coming to coming here, of course. So um, definitely Thierry. And back to the first part of the question, growing up in London and being a football 
soccer, football man, was um was amazing because we have a few sports as you do here, but uh, um, the difference is that football is probably our biggest. So um, being in London, being around the Tottenham's, the West Ham's, Crystal Palaces, so many clubs in such a, you know, in one city, it was um, it was pretty amazing. Everybody's just so immersed in the culture of football, and um, no, it's definitely wouldn't change that for the world. So have you have you ever met Thierry Henry before? And how excited are you to go up against his team this weekend? Very very excited. I haven't I hadn't met him before Orlando, and I mean I wouldn't call my nervous. How are you doing? Uh, really a meeting, but um, I mean who knows? I I can't see myself asking for a picture, but because um, obviously it's business. But who knows? Maybe he'll, maybe he'll come in a change room off. I don't know. But it'll be it'll be nice to play against this team. It'll be nice to show them what we can do. Mandela, your first name, of course, is the surname of Nelson Mandela, who was an icon for social justice, among so many other things, until his death in 2013. Is that where the name comes from? And what does the spirit of Nelson Mandela mean to you? It definitely is. It most definitely is. We, um, my mother and father obviously chose that name for me, and it's, it's, it's just really powerful. We used to call him Uncle Nelson around the house when talking about him. We never met the man. We um, never got that honor, unfortunately. But he was just, he felt like he was a part of just our culture and upbringing. And we, um, as kids, our bedtime stories weren't really, you know, they weren't really Disney stories. We had a bit of road down here and there. But for the most part, we would be read um, by our father. Maya Angelou poems and Nelson Mandela autobiographies and um, books. So that was um, a big part of our um, upbringing as kids. What's been the biggest surprise for you coming to the States, living where you do, joining New York Red Bulls? Of course, the current situation that we're in would have been the biggest surprise. I don't think anybody could ever have expected, expected the, you know, the times that we're in right now. It was, um, you know, so many, the whole world really affected in different ways by this. And um, hopefully everybody's staying as safe as possible. But of course, it's been, um, it's been a tough time for many. People have lost family members and friends. People have lost jobs. Things were for a very long period not looking amazing. And um, we were very glad as sportsmen to be able to bring a bit of entertainment back into people's lives. So at least, you know, people had sport and entertainment to turn on their TVs to and we were we were yeah very happy to be the first sport to be able to do that in the US um back in um you know in June, July with the MLS is back tournament. So hopefully we did our part as much as we could as soccer players to be able to bring some sort of you know stability and maybe good better mental health to the wider public. What is it that you feel when you your teammates and opponents take a knee as players around the world are doing prior to first kick every game seemingly? Um, it's about standing in, in, in unity and standing as one or kneeling as one, as the case is. And um, I think we've, for the most part, gotten over what the misconceptions of kneeling were and are so well, unfortunately kind of still are but they are definitely misconceptions and that's why I think the whole movement is being seen a lot better now as it was uh, f- four years ago and um, 
yeah, the misconceptions that it was a, as you know, it was seen as disrespecting the flag, disrespecting, you know, police and army and military, which is not, I think that's pretty clear now. We are standing up for injustices that we see on a daily basis, you know, which is very unfortunate. But um, even coming off the coming off the back of the game yesterday and getting into the plane, and then coming off the flight and getting our internet's back and seeing, you know, the whole Brianna Taylor verdict or what, what exactly has gone on there and how we've been pushing for so many months for justice and then feel like a bit of a slap in the face. It's like we 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 realize we've still got um a way to go but that's what this is about this is not going to change immediately and we are in the process of fighting for that change at the moment it's another reason to admire uh, your childhood uh, legend Thierry Henry he's been very vocal outspoken with a social conscience a moral compass he's been a leader uh, in this movement how do you transition from that moment Steve's question to the next second next minute being ready to play in a game you um you play for the cause you play for the cause i feel like every every player on the pitch should hopefully have a deeper reason that they play the sport we love the sport we love we love being able to get out on the pitch every day and do what we love as work and um however there should be another part to that in some some leaving some sort of a legacy or at least helping to leave some sort of a legacy so it's pretty simple it's as simple as we take a knee before the game and then go and play for that cause as we play or oh, that's how i see it anyway is it more competitive in europe do you think we've had more than one player tell us that being in the european locker room it's less of a friendly atmosphere less congenial give and take between players who are trying to take each other's jobs when you get down to nuts and bolts. Uh, is it a bit different in the United States? Perhaps more support around you than elsewhere? It probably is slightly different. You could probably say the European change room is a bit more cutthroat. However, I've been lucky in as early as being a Crystal Palace kid. I remember my, my best experiences growing up were in the change room. And of course, we were all young lads. I'm talking before professional football, scholars or schoolboys going in and just having so much fun. We would have um, <laughs> a lot of stuff would go down in the change room that will stay off camera. But it was just the best time of my life. Yeah, I guess it, we, I would compare that to what a lot of people would, why a lot of people love their college experience or their university experience. Because um, it's just people you see every day and bond with. And those are really... You see them more than family at times. So um, that change room experience at Crystal Palace on the 18s going through to the 23s was amazing. And then I was lucky enough to get into a change room at Gladbach with just purely good people. Um, same at Darmstadt and to be honest, the same here. So I think, yeah, the European in general change room is a bit more cutthroat. However, I've been very lucky in that. I've been around very, very good teammates. What's your joy, Mandela, when you're on the field? We in the broadcast booth were pleasantly surprised the first time we got a, a chance to see you. as Playing as a right back, you have power, you have speed, you have the ability to, to get forward and contribute. What, what's your joy when, you're, when the whistle blows and the game starts? Um, as I've gotten older, my, 
I've, I've taken more joy in crunching a, a tackle, just as much joy in that as I do as getting an assist on the other side. So I think just being able to have the balance and a lot of fullbacks these days, if they attack, then they're given the stigma that they can't defend. And if they're very good defenders, they're given the stigma that they don't go over the halfway line and create. And I think the best would be able to get the balance right. And so my joy would hopefully be able to get the balance, you know, be seen as an, a, a really rounded fullback and being able to play other positions as well, whether it's as a centre-back in a three or as a winger in a, you know, so really to be able to do both jobs well. Whether it's a fullback or a center back, who is that player in the world that you sometimes envy, perhaps from afar, and say, I want my game to mirror his? Kyle Walker. On mm-hmm. Kyle Walker, definitely. Both the, the city, the city fullbacks, Kyle Walker and Benjamin Mendy. I think as the style of play that their team plays and the types of players that they are are definitely the type of player that I like to would like to resemble hundred percent. It seems to us, again, in the broadcast booth, your, your back line, New York Red Bulls, whether you're playing three in the back, five in the back, or four in the back, there's some good partnerships, certainly with Aaron Long and Tim Parker in the middle. What's your understanding with them? All good? 100%, yeah. The, um, I'm, I'm actually in a Aaron Long-Tim Parker sandwich in the changing room. So I get a, <laughs> I get a lot of them um, every day. And I carpool with Amro Tarek. So I'm really good with all three centre-backs. Sean Nealis is just the other side of Tim Parker as well. And all four, all four are pretty amazing players. Very playing very well, um, especially since the restart. The likes of Nealis have really just shown that they're really ready to play in this um, league and this team. So, yeah, no, my understanding of those boys is very good. Mandela, congratulations on your first goal in Major League Soccer. Good luck to you and the team the rest of the way. I can tell you this, when the pandemic does subside, you are living and dwelling in uh, a great place to live and work. I hope you get to experience that soon. We thank you for this talk today. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure being on. That is a well-thought-out individual who just joined us, Mandela Egbo. Well, again, given the circumstances, Steve, everybody around the world, I can't wait the time for the time come when we can meet with him in person. He struck me as a very thoughtful, articulate, uh, worldly, sp- speaks multiple languages and, and socially conscious. So he sounded like a terrific young man. And the games just keep coming faster and faster. Quick turnaround, Red Bulls, Montreal Impact. This is the arena that each team is calling home for the time being. This is a Red Bulls home game for the record on Sunday night. Uh, Montreal comes off another loss, third straight defeat. They dropped a 3-1 to decision to New England in midweek. Henri, at least as a first-year coach, has his work cut out with this group, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, Steve, and... What's the record? The last three games, I think they've given up uh, seven goals in the last two, ten goals in the last three games. Uh, And you know Terry Henry. I mean, he goes ballistic when you give up one goal. He comes from the European culture of you can't give up a goal. So he's got to be getting gray hairs by now. But I think he's uh, no doubt he's a competitor. He's fiery. And I think after their loss three to one to New England, Uh, he's probably had some choice words for them trying to get them fired up for New York Red Bulls. 
he has to find a way at least for this game without his best players. Uh, Oya Cuanco, team MVP last year, injures his hamstring. It certainly doesn't look like he'll go. At the time that we're taping this conversation, we don't know if Romel Kyoto might be facing an additional suspension in addition to the one game that he missed with a red card. It, it's, it's kind of hard to dissect how Montreal will come out. That's the beauty of Henri, though. He keeps you guessing tactically as a head coach of what to expect. Look, it's not too early in his career to, to think that he's one of the more cerebral coaches around. His tactical understanding of the game, his ability to change formation on the fly, uh, he's imparting that knowledge to his team. So I don't think if you're Bradley Cornell, you know what to prepare for, not in terms of formation, not in terms of players on the field. Red Bulls will seek their first win streak of 2020 still haven't won two in a row the fact that they did what they did in midweek and kept Kaku on the bench does that play any significant role in what we might see on Sunday I don't think it does Steve I think a well-rested Kaku uh, against Montreal is what what the team wants question more of a question for me is the formation right they had gone to a 3-5-2 prior to the game against Inter Miami changed it up into a different four in the midfield, different formation, four at the back, two strikers. So let's see what they'll bring against Montreal. More on the world game next week. Hope you've enjoyed this edition. Believe in soccer, the Shet Messing Daily Cast. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube